This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am Alex Spitten, and today my guest is Kelly Kraut. She is on staff with The Call under Ann Mythaller. We talked about her in Ann's podcast. She's hilarious. She's a mom to basically an entire basketball team of boys. And we're going to talk about loving your adoptive kids even when it feels impossible and how important it is to find people who get it and who can take the honest truth about your struggles. She's hilarious. I'm so glad she's my friend. And let's just jump right into our interview with Kelly Kraut. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I'm super excited about my guest today. You heard me and Ann talk about it in her interview a little while back. And um, hopefully, Kelly, you can live up to the hype because, I mean, we talked about how you shaved Hayden's head. And right now you're really looking like a saint. So. Oh, mercy. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> so um, this is Kelly Crouch. She is on staff with The Call, and she's just really awesome. She has like a bajillion kids, and they are all male. So <laughs> if that tells you anything. So Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself. How many kids you have, names, ages, husband, all that. Okay. So yes, I'm Kelly. I work with The Call, and I'm also a volunteer trainer for The Call, So I train people how to be foster parents. The goal there was that I would stop taking in children. That has not actually worked (laughs) out for me. But in theory, that is the idea to teach other people how to do it. (laughs) Because at some point, you run out of room. So I currently have seven children. We actually just launched the the teen out into the real world. And so Randall's 18. And so there are six still at home. So Rex is 12. Gus is nine. We have two seven-year-olds, Leo and Joe, who are six months apart, and then a four-year-old named Van, and the baby, Wes, is one. And my husband is Kevin, and you are right, that is all boys, not a girl to be found, and it's really okay. I'm fine with it. (laughs) (laughs) You're good at it, too. So, okay, a few things. So, first of all, you can say Randall's name now. Yay. Yay, he's an adult. Yes, Woo-hoo. he can consent to giving me, you know, permission to share some of his info and pictures and stuff. So, yeah. so that's been fun. It just feels more <laughs> official. Yeah. And so the other part is you had four of these uh four of these boys the good old-fashioned way and then three of them were through fo- like adoption through foster care, right? Yes. This is true. Whew. That's just so many boys, Kelly. It is a lot. It is a lot of boys. It is a lot of people. We have fostered girls before. Um, They just didn't happen to be long timers and uh, or stick around, you know, for adoption or anything. But uh, we have had some girls. I think we found our niche, though, and we'll probably stick with the boys (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. so that's super awesome. And I uh, I actually met Kelly at when we took your pictures, right? I think that was, no, 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 no. You know what? It was when you were a panel, when we were training and it was, you had talked about how you adopted like the day before you found out you were pregnant. And I was currently like giant pregnant. Like, um, yes, I would like to talk to the one who's also crazy. How did that work (laughs) for you? 
<laughs> yes, I remember this now. Yep, that's a good time. Yeah. yeah, we we actually found out we were pregnant when we came home from the adoption. Um, <laughs> I thought I had just been real nervous and stressed. I thought I felt sick because I was nervous. Then I got home and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm pregnant. And sure enough, I was. So we went from three boys to five boys um, that day. Yeah, <laughs> so and that's little was, Van, and then Wes yeah. came along. Yeah, but it's an exciting time. So speaking of all, just all that story, why don't we just get right into that? So what is your story? How did you get into this? And um, wh- how did you get to from there to now? Okay, so my husband and I started this process about six years ago. We just went to church one day in November, and it happened to be Orphan Sunday. And I had always wanted to adopt. Kevin never did. And so we kind of just dropped it. But that day at church, the pastor just talked about all these different ways that you can care for the orphan, like being a mentor or, you know, sponsoring a child or doing foster care or doing adoption or whatever. And something in his heart just changed that day. And on the way home, I was like, I feel like we need to be doing something. And he was like, me too. And we just sort of talked about the different ways that the pastor had mentioned. And foster care just made the most sense for us. And so at that time, our boys were five, three, and one, and we decided to take in a teenager because we thought we've got a lot of little kids, like, let's take in somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started with a teen girl um, who we also still consider a part of the family. Ashton lived with us for about a year and a half before she moved on to live with other family. And um, in that time, we had several school-aged kids come and go for shorter little stays. And then we got also a baby in that time when we had her and he was 17 months old and had been severely physically abused. And so he um, came to us pretty, pretty pathetic. And uh, it, it was hard. He, he cried a lot, understandably. And it was just, it was a rough, a rough several months. But by the end of that year, it was pretty clear that um, they the department was asking us to adopt him um, or to see if they wanted us to move him somewhere else. And at that point we're like, um, of course we'll adopt him. And then, you know, as you know, we found out we were pregnant and our teen had moved on at that point. And so we closed our home and took a little break. We were running out of space and obviously there was a lot going on. So um, we adopted Joe in December of 2012 and built a bigger house in this meantime, this little two year break that we took and uh, worked on some stuff with Joe that we'll kind of touch on. I'm sure a little bit later, but um, then we reopened. I guess a year and a half ago or so. And our first placement was a little preemie baby that we got to bring home from the NICU, which was just dreamy fun. Cause he was like six pounds and delicious. Yeah. He and, was uh, just so freaking oh, cute. Yeah. It was really just kind of amazing. And, and it's been kind of fun because he, he just looks like all of us. And so everybody assumes <laughs> it's a bio kid. And so that's kind of funny when people are like, Oh, he looks just like you. And I'm like, Oh, that's hilarious. Because <laughs> there's no reason for that. But Anyway, we just take the compliments and go with them. And uh, yeah. we were very much done. Um, the kid didn't sleep through the night for like ever. He still doesn't all the time. But back Oof. in October, we kept hearing about this teenager and it was just pulling on my heart. And every time I'd go to my husband and say, hey, what about a four-year-old girl? What about an eight-year-old boy? He was like, nope, nope, we're done. We're not taking anybody else right now. And so I just knew when I went to him with this teen, he was going to be like, are you freaking kidding me? No. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Kev, there's this teen and I really want to take him. And he was like, oh, okay, well, tell me the story. I'll think about it. And I was like, what did you just <laughs> say? So we took in Randall um, in an October. So that made seven this past year. And, um, 
anyway, so that's kind of how we got to where we're at right now. We we helped him kind of get through high school and graduate, and he's moved into his own apartment. He signed up for college, and so we're just super, super proud of him, and he's really proud of himself to be kind of doing his own thing, and now we are his independent living sponsors, and so instead of being foster parents at this point, our role changes a little bit to more of a mentor-type scenario, so gotcha. that is the nutshell version there. Right. And okay, so I want to ask you for about a few details that I know, but I think would be really funny to share. So first of all, at one point, um, you guys did not live in the master bedroom of your home, correct? Oh, yeah, it was a really intelligent season of (laughs) of our life. I had gotten a phone call and I was always just one like, hey, can we make this work? If we can make it work, then the answer is yes. And we took Joe in and had him in our bedroom. For a while, that was the only way that it would work logistically and space wise. But then after a couple of weeks of that, I was like, this isn't fun. And (laughs) I don't want to share a room with a one and a half year old. So how can we rearrange? And so the way that the space was, we were able to put four kids in the master bedroom. So Kevin and I packed up our king size bed, put it in like a 10 by 10 kid room. And we put (laughs) two cribs and a bunk bed in the master bedroom. And the kids were like living the dream. They thought this was amazing. And we got it all moved. And I was like, oh, crap, this is awful. And Kevin's like, I'm not taking that furniture apart again. You're going to tough it out. And we're living like this. And, uh, it was a it was a growing season for us. Um, it was it was difficult. I mean, we shared a wall with our teenager. We had the bathroom in the hallway, and it was just super dumb. And so I tell all parents, <laughs> don't do that. And no one, no one appreciates their master bedroom like I do now. <laughs> so I will I not do that again. <laughs> it's still just like so funny to me every time I think about that um, because I'm just like I would just never do that but more power to Kelly well it was real dumb I won't do it again and I don't recommend it but you know what <laughs> we were able to take in one more at that time and so like, I suppose it was a good thing at yeah. the end of the day <laughs> so okay also um, Wes who was formerly known as Micro which yes. was super cute now he he was a little bit back and forth and that like talk about that because I know that your heart changed a lot through that process too. Oh, it absolutely did. We did not get into this to do another adoption. We really, we didn't feel like we were very good at adoption, but we felt like we were pretty good at foster care. And so I was like, (laughs) let's just foster. And so we take this itty bitty baby and, um, I get pretty attached to this baby because I'm up with him all night and I'm with him all day long. And it was a little slower for my husband because he's, you know, he was working a lot. And so he just wasn't around him. And he actually ended up moving in with a family member after we had him for about six weeks. And I remember putting him in that car and just feeling like, oh, my God, I just put my baby in this car and I'm never going to see him again. Like, that's my kid. And people have told stories like that. And I just didn't believe it until it happened to me. But I wrote the family member a letter and I was like, listen, I love this baby. Here's his schedule. Here's all these doctor's appointments. Um, you know, it ended up being like a four page letter. It was ridiculous. And then I was like, listen, if you need any help, you can call me and you don't have to give your info to bio family like that. But I just really felt like I needed to do this. And within an hour or two, she called me and she was like, I can tell how much you love this kid. Um, I really can't sign on to do this long term. Would you adopt him? And of course, at that point, it was not a decision she could even make. I mean, the case had to go a lot longer, but um, she could just tell, wow, these people really care about this baby and I want them to have him because I can't really do this right now. 
And so I was like, listen, we'll work the case. We'd be happy to take them back and foster and, you know, and pray about it. And it took my husband a couple of months to get on board. And before we went to court one day, I was like, uh, Kev, the judge is probably going to ask us tomorrow if we're willing to adopt this baby. Like, what's our stance here? Because <laughs> God was just really clear to me, like, do not push him. It was going to be two yeses or one no. I was just not going to push him into an adoption. I wasn't going to do it. And he was like, well, of course I'll say yes. I was like, what? Can you, can we backtrack a little and you explain to me where you changed your mind? Like, so I don't know how long he had been a yes, but I sat there patiently for like four months, not asking him. And then all of a sudden he's like, of course we'll adopt him. And of course it wasn't that fast. It took, you know, we adopted him when he was 15 months old and we had him from day one, essentially. So right. um, sometimes things move a little slow, as you are well aware. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so. I remember your um, super long post. I mean, you were going up to the hospital when he was in the NICU. And I just remember your now hilarious post that was like, no, we're not going to adopt him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really, really set. And I think I was trying to convince myself, I don't know. And everybody asks if you're going to adopt and you're really, the goal is always reunification. And so we very much supported birth mom as, as long as it was reasonable. And we really wanted to help her. And then it came to a point where it was just not feasible for her anymore. And uh, she was able to uh, we were able to have some good conversations with her and it was, it was what needed to happen. So awesome. anyway, um, yeah, well, but I did, I was pretty set on that. And at one point there was even a nurse who came up to me and she was like, that's your baby. I was like, no ma'am, it's, it's not, we're doing foster care. She's like, well, you're going to adopt him. And I thought, wow, this lady is gutsy. No, I'm not. And she was <laughs> like, no, I can tell that's your kid. Congrats on your new baby. Oh my and gosh. Like, this lady is so out of bounds. But then later I was like, you know what? maybe there was something to it. And you start like overanalyzing <laughs> everything. And anyway, it turns out she was right. But even though probably not super appropriate, but that's okay. <laughs> We're still gonna go with it. Yeah, you know, maybe she had a premonition. Who knows? Who knows? She was on to something. But. That's, you know, a lady at the grocery store one time, I had Grady and Rock sitting in the, the cart. And she was like, Oh, that is so sweet. You can just tell their brothers. And I was like, really? <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> What gave that away for you? I'm like, um, explain. Oh, that is great. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, he's so young that I always just say that he's adopted, but it's just so funny because I, you sit there and you're like, do I even tell her? I don't know. Right. It's the best. <laughs> I love messing with people sometimes. So all of my boys are white, except for one is Hispanic. So it's fairly obvious that he is adopted. But a lot of times people are curious about your family and they'll be like, so who's adopted? And I'm like, don't <laughs> act like you don't know who's adopted. So I'll point to like the blonde kid and be like this one <laughs> <laughs> just to like mess with people a little bit. But Oh gosh, anyway. I love it. So it's um, fun time. Speaking of Joe, let's let's talk about him a little bit. Let's. Um, because we, so me and you have gotten together several times. Um, and I feel like we should just be open and honest, like to have a little bit of a vent session about our, our harder kids because adoptive moms need that and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. But I mean, what do we do? Because I wanted, I wanted to talk about that with you because I feel so much solidarity when we chat about our hard kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think that I've, I mean, you've even helped me come to realize that love for our adopted kids doesn't have to look the same as love for our other kids. So, I mean, what's, what is your like just overview stance on that? Okay. 
Okay. I mean, it's a great, it's a great question and it's a hard question and it's a hard one to answer being respectful of all sides of the scenario. Cause I would never want to sound hurtful to anybody, but I also want to be completely transparent and honest. And so it's a fine, it's a fine line. But one Absolutely. of the things that everybody says is, Oh, you'll get so attached. You'll get so attached. And so if you jump into this and attachment's not immediate and lovey dovey and mushy gushy, like you feel like you're doing it wrong or you feel inept or ill-equipped and attachment was not easy with Joe and it wasn't Joe's fault. Joe had been through incredible trauma and with trauma comes a lot of behaviors that are survival rooted, but they come across kind of personal. Yeah. Um, and so, so that hurts as the mom, like I'm trying to give this kid everything and I'm pouring so much in, I'm sacrificing so much and I'm getting kind of the shaft here and it hurts. Yeah. And so loving Joe has been a more of a process of showing up every day and and trying to give him what he needs and not necessarily what I <laughs> oh oh it's hard to explain not necessarily what I always think he needs what you want I need him to, to need. Cut, right what I want him to need I want it to be easy it's not always easy and so trying to figure out what is it that he really needs and how can I accommodate that and over the last several years um, I'm real open about the fact I have done a ton of therapy myself and I became aware that my own attachment skills were not that good this was not all on Joe um, so I've worked a lot on my own ability to attach to other people and specifically to Joe. And so that's been just a process of figuring out why some of his stuff bothers me so much. You know what? It's not his fault that that bothers me. It's my fault that it bothers me. So what's underneath that? And so trying to figure out some of my own triggers and just making a point to connect with him in the way that he needs. So it, it has been a process. It has been harder, but I am, I'm so proud of my love for Joe because he and I have worked hard to get where we're at. And I'm incredibly thankful for him because he 100% changed the way that we parent and we needed to change the way that we parent. Mm. So I am incredibly thankful because we are, our ship just turned completely the other direction to accommodate him. And it has been beneficial for everybody. So that's been, it's been a process <laughs> for yeah. sure. Well, and that's, I mean, I feel, I mean, that's so good. And, and, and just to go along with that, this is something else that you and I have talked about, but how our hard kids present to other people and definitely feeling like the bad guy in a lot of situations and how, right. how we go about that. And I know that, I mean, what, what are some of the issues you've had with that with Joe? Cause I know with Clark, it's been really difficult because he will totally present as this very polite, great, well-rounded kid. And a lot of times people don't believe me when I'm like, no, it's actually really difficult to parent this child. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's every people need to understand that what they're seeing is a very small sliver of your life. And, and also that it's a, it's a survival skill. So Joe is incredibly charming with new people that we meet. I mean, he literally will bat his eyes and it's now some of this has improved as we've improved our attachment skills, but um, especially <laughs> when he was a little bit younger, I mean, just laying it on thick for strangers. But what I want, I wish people could understand is that what he is saying with that behavior is if you will love me, maybe you won't hurt me. Mm. And it's a terrible thought, but that's, it's a protective skill to be overly charming because he's trying to 
keep himself from getting hurt because adults hurt him, but he couldn't trust adults. And so he thinks maybe if they really like me, this won't happen again. And so that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow because nobody wants to think about kids being through scenarios that would cause them to think like that. And of course, I don't think consciously he could put that, (laughs) you know, together, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, you know, it's, it's a consistent theme with some of these kids with attachment issues that they are incredibly charming to other people. And so if I'm to tell you, Hey, we actually see X, Y, Z behaviors at home. And he actually screams at me and punches me in the face. You're like, whatever. He's adorable. He looks perfectly (laughs) fine to me. Or my favorite. Oh, you just can't imagine that. Right. Or I'll just take you home with me. And oh, oh my goodness, please don't say that because actually one day somebody picked him up and he just came home with me. So that was his reality one day. So <sighs> I don't really actually want him to think, oh my gosh, one day somebody can just pick me up and take me home somewhere else. Um, I want him to know his home is secure here and nothing is ever going to break the bond of this family. But that's yeah. not what his history has taught him. And people – I please know I give people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I know that nobody intends that statement, but people say it all of the time to him. And it's a confusing thing for him, which makes our job harder when we come home and he's wondering, do I get to stay here? Is somebody else going to take me home? I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard Ooh. thing for a three, four year old to understand. Yeah. So. Well, and I mean, any, any support system, people that are listening, I mean, mom shopping is a really, really, very real thing. And it's a big deal for families like yours. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I know that what people say, you know, they mean, Hey, he's so cute. (laughs) I'm like, you know, it's okay. Those, those old things to say, they're still fine. (laughs) Just say he's so cute. (laughs) He is very, very cute. You don't have to get fancy with it. (laughs) Right. That's right. Don't, don't offer to take them off my hands. I actually do want to keep them. (laughs) <laughs> so oh, goodness okay so i mean we we said earlier so joe's seven right and yes so these behaviors are super difficult even in a seven-year-old but now you've had multiple teenagers but one that seems like he's gonna stick around a little bit in some yeah. capacity and i have a teenager and and those i mean i call that that charming behavior i call it building his house of cards and okay for him when when one card gets pulled out and he, you know, a lie is discovered or people see through him just a little bit, that's when the outburst happens because the whole house of cards just comes tumbling down. I mean, right. you did you see that with Randall at all? You know, not really. Randall was a little unique um, in that when I had him, it was his first time in foster care as, a, as an older youth. And so he'd not been in the system and, you know, um, it's just, he was just kind of unique. He he's also given me permission to share some of his stories because I do the trainings and I'm like, Hey, if there's ever anything you don't want me to share in a training, you need to let me know because I'm going <laughs> to use this because this is some crazy stuff. <laughs> so, but, uh, he, you know, he got into some trouble and, um, I think, I guess we'd have to ask him, but what I would think was one of the more impactful things with him was that when he did get in trouble, his response was always, gosh, call my caseworker. Just have her come pick me up. Go ahead and just send me back to the shelter. And I'm like, dude, that's not really how we roll. And he was like, why not? And I'm like, because we're not jerks. <laughs> like, that's not what we're going to do. We want to help you through this. We want to support you and love you through this and figure it out together. And that was just so foreign to him. And so it was a real blessing to watch him kind of walk through that and understand, hey, these people really 
aren't going to quit. But Randall didn't have the attachment issues that some of my younger ones have had. Um, I know his story has been hard, but somebody took care of him when he was a baby because those attachment skills were there. I, I feel genuinely attached to him. I think he feels genuinely attached to us. So he was really just kind of a unique a unique teenager. Um, Joe's attachment skills were, were a little bit different because he was taken from his parents at one and a half. That's a very crucial mm-hmm. developmental stage. And they just never saw him again and got thrown in our house. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, that's, that's totally chaotic um, for a kid to go through. Goodness. I can imagine. Um, okay. Are we allowed to share the hilarious t-shirt that you got from Randall? Uh, Sure. (laughs) I I think he would be fine with it. So Randall got into a little bit of trouble uh, with some extracurricular activities. Maybe we'll just be a little bit vague about it, even though nobody (laughs) is stupid. And so we were, we did make some light of it. There were some harsh consequences um, that were out of our hands, but at our home, we wanted to know you are loved despite all of this and we're going to love you just anyway. And so for Christmas, I was super proud when I found him this t-shirt that said hug dealer (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he proudly wore it all the time and still does sometimes. (laughs) We just, you know, had a good chuckle over it. And one of our other great bonding moments with him, we had gotten the kids, um, the, the young, the middle boys, some video games for Christmas. And when I got home from Walmart, it didn't have the, like the security box taken off of it. And I'm like, Oh God, I can't take this back to the store. They're going to think I swiped this, but like, what do I do? And I was like, Randall, let's not play. I know you know how to get this thing off of here. Can you like help a sister out and bust into this game? <laughs> and he was like, Oh my God, I love you guys. Cause it was like, you love me despite knowing that I have stolen stuff before. And I know how to get past the security thing. And it was just a, you know, those are the kind of weird bonding moments you have when you're <laughs> getting foster care with older kids. But, oh, that's awesome. Um, well, and on that note, so you've, I feel like we've already established just within this conversation that your attachment with kids has been a little bit unpredictable, that you've attached to kids that don't make a lot of sense and you've had attachment issues with kids that you feel like you should attach to super easily. And that's something that you talked about, even in that first panel that I mentioned earlier, that you said, you know, everyone says, I can't do this because I'll get attached. And you're like, just know you might not. And I right. just, I've always remember that was like the realest thing anyone ever said. And I loved it. Oh, I'm so glad that people listen to me every now and then. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Yeah, you for sure. Day. Anytime. <laughs> oh, even though it's like the crappiest statement, because you do want, you want to attach every single one. And sometimes it does surprise you. And sometimes there's just personality, you know, the dynamic, um, I always tell this story on panel. There was one little girl that left during the day one day to move to a different placement. And when my kids got home from school, they were like, hey, where's so-and-so? And I was like, I'm so sorry, guys. She moved today. And the little kindergartner at the time was like, thank God. She was driving me crazy. <laughs> I was like, man, you're going to get the real answer out of kids. But Randall, I've told him from like two or three weeks in, like, I feel like I gave birth to that kid. I was like, I will be crushed if if they have to move you for whatever reason, like for whatever reason, my attachment with him was strong. Um, and then Joe, you know, we got as a baby and it was hard, but it was just because his his life had been so hard that he had a major, major wall built up. And on the day to day now, in times of stress, it's easy to, to backtrack to that when it's just really hard again. And I've got to, you know, 
take a a step back and take a deep breath and remember that what he needs is especially in those times of stress, remembering that he is loved and this is permanent here. So yeah. Anyway, I, I just, I mean, that's such a good word because I feel like that's something that I try really hard with both of my boys when they get really hard is I try to remember the, just how much this is not their fault. And right. It's hard because at the moment it just really feels like it's their fault because they're the ones doing it. Right. But <laughs> You know, I think that that's such a good exercise is being able to center yourself and say, okay, why is he doing this? Why is he lying? Why is he stealing? Why is he doing X, Y, Z? And when you can trace it back to like, oh, this was actually a survival skill for him. And that's been really helpful. And I've even told Clark that just when I was so angry at him for lying and I just wanted to, I mean, I'll be honest, I just wanted to like pull the car over and be like, get out. I just, I cannot sit next to you right now. And I just somehow by the grace of God, I was like, you know what? I really hate that you lie, but I'm proud of you for in a time where you were literally fighting for your life, you found a way to protect yourself. And I hope that someday you'll realize that you're not still fighting for your life. And I have no idea where that came from. But I think that it, I mean, at least part of it was from our conversations just about seeing the why behind their behavior. Right. It just adds a lot of compassion when you can go back and remember, gosh, this kid has been through stuff nobody should have to go through. And so there are going to be some... (laughs) consequences of that that are just not their fault and it's 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 hard but it doesn't make it um it just doesn't make it easy to walk through it with a kid so um it's tough when those behaviors seem directed at you yeah oh gosh yes (laughs) (laughs) you're like yes i i know they just really do (laughs) it's been really cool though to be able to look back and when i say we changed the way that we parented because of joe we used to use more of an old school approach is what we call it. You know, timeouts. We did used to spank um, our biological kids, not any foster kids. I've never spanked a foster kid. Let's be real clear on that. <laughs> but I did. we did if used to spank our, our, <laughs> our biological kids. And um, we, when, when Joe got adopted, you know, he was treated like everybody else. And we just, you know, if you can't act right, you can go to your room until you can pull yourself together or whatever. And we just began to see, wow, he's getting worse and worse and worse. He should be getting better. And so I just started pouring myself into brain trauma research and um, looking for new answers. And I ran across a proverb one day, just like crying out to God, like, I know you called me to do this. And I feel so ill-equipped, like, you've got to help me if you want this to work out. And the proverb said, desire without knowledge is no good. Like he who makes haste with his feet misses the way. And I'm butchering that, but it is in the Bible somewhere. And I could look it up and, and have that for you. <laughs> I mean, I fully believe you. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's good. I did read it in the Bible, but it just struck out to me. Desire without knowledge is not good. Like I had the desire to help. I wanted to do a good thing. I wanted to help these children, but I did not know enough about trauma and trauma informed care and how to help a brain heal from that kind of injury. And so I just poured myself into the research and going to conferences and it just became real clear, wow, we are not doing this right. This approach will not work with him, but you, it's real hard to parent a group of kids two different ways. And so we just changed how we parented everybody. And so now we use what we call a more connected parenting approach. And it is inconvenient and it is time consuming and it is a complete paradigm shift from how most of us were raised 
as kids. Um, but it has been so life-changing for, for all of us. Um, we've got better relationships with our bio kids now, and we have seen such, such growth with Joe. I wish I had known all of this stuff before we started the whole process. Yeah. Well, and you said, you said connecting, connected parenting and for anyone, I mean, I, we're covering all kinds of adoption in this podcast, but for those of you who have done it through foster care, connected parenting is such a like hot, but like hot word, not hot button word, but I don't know. It's, right. like, it's a big word. And the connected child or the, um, right. The connected child, right? Yes. Yeah. Karen Purvis. Uh-huh. For some reason, it just escaped me for like a split second. I own the book. I should probably know, but <laughs> I won't even say it's like the, the foster parent Bible, but it's, it's very close. It's and pretty close. Yeah. Every time you're, I mean, every time I read it, at least I'm like, this is a bunch of crap. Who has the patience for this? <laughs> but it works. It does work. And it is such an exercise in self-control for parents to like, stop and take a deep breath and realize, you know, <laughs> what do you, what do you need right now? Like how, and you know, stopping one of our biggest things that we used to screw up all the time was a kid throwing a fit, just trying to be like, dry it up, stop, like get it done, get your room clean or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what? In the moment that they're freaking out, they're freaking out. Like we've got to help them get back down to zero before we can try to teach them something. And that was one of the hardest things for me. Like, cause it felt like coddling a fit. But what my kid was telling me right now is I am so stressed and I can't handle life right now. And I need someone to, help me. And so when I can come alongside them, calm them down and then help them accomplish whatever caused the fit in the first place, I'm building relationship with that kid. And that's what's really made such a difference, I think, with Joe. Yeah. Well, and you have a great example of this. And if you're not comfortable with sharing it, we can we can just cut this part out. But um, <laughs> just him with him being sick and throwing up and it, I know oh, it took some patience yeah. from you. Are you okay with sharing that story? Oh, totally. Because this was just so it was eye opening to me because when Joe was little, he used to get sick a lot and um, it would just completely stress him out. He would freak out. And I used to just dread when a kid would start throwing up. So I'm like, Oh God, Joe is going to get it. And this is going to be such a disaster. And I mean, he would scream and freak and flail like the kid thought he was dying. And then it occurred to me one day, I was like, you know what? He threw up a whole lot after he was really, really hurt. And it was a genuine medical concern. I was like, what if he actually thinks he's dying? And so there was one night his body just does not interpret things the way that normal <laughs> I'd use the word normal, but how <laughs> most people feel when you're about to throw up. Most people know what it feels like to feel nauseous. Joe's nose feels weird when he's going to throw up. I huh. don't know why. And he's like, mommy, my nose feels weird. And I could tell he knew he was going to throw up. I was like, listen, we're going to get you set up with a bucket next to your bed. If you throw up, it's going to be okay. And listen, I want to tell you something, Joe, if you throw up, I promise you are not going to die. You're going to throw up and it's not going to feel good. You're going to throw up in the bucket. I'm going to get you some water. I'm going to wipe your face off. I'm going to tuck you back in, but you're not going to die. I want you to tell me, say, I'm not going to die. And he, it took him forever to spit it out. Like he was just sobbing. He was so convinced that he would. And the kid was six at the time. I mean, a, a baby. And Sure enough, I get him all tucked in. I get him calmed down. I've got him repeating, hey, I'm not going to die. I might get sick, but I'm not going to die. Sure enough, he throws up and I run upstairs and I'm able to get there in time because like that mama adrenaline kicks in and I think I did the stairs in like two steps. And he's <laughs> I get him and I've got him throwing up in a bucket and he parfs and bless his little heart. He looks up at me smiling. He's like, you're right. I didn't die. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, oh my word. If I'd known it was that simple years ago, I would have done it. But (laughs) 
<laughs> I was just like, this poor kid. He just, his brain had him believing something completely different. And so sometimes it takes being really frank about things that sound scary to talk about with little kids, but that's what he needed. He needed somebody to say, this is not going to kill you. You're actually going to be okay. People get sick and then they get better. And, um, it was a really, it was a cool bonding moment for me and Joe, cause he was so proud of himself. I was so proud of him. And I mean, who enjoys it when their kid is sick? Like it's terrible, but it was such a cool moment for us. And I just felt like he grew up three years that night. Like yeah. <laughs> it was a big, it was a big deal. Well, and you found out, I mean, that just, what do you need right now? What do you actually need when you want to just be like, this is not a big deal, grow up or whatever. But right. you know, you found that, that why, and that's just so important. And I'm finding that more and more, even with rock as I'm starting to see some of his behaviors come forth and some of his sensory issues. And I just want to treat him like I treat my other kids. And as much as I w- tried to like will him to be normal, he's struggling and I'm having yeah. to accept that and admit that to myself a little bit, which is really hard. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it's hard, but I, I try to remember that we, <laughs> it's, it's easy to blame ourselves as like the adoptive parents for some of these behaviors. I'd, I'd catch myself, you know, being like self-conscious or I don't know, worrying about what other people think. And I remind myself that I did not, I did not cause the original problem. I am part of the team that is solving the problem or trying to help solve the problem. And, you know, in the same way that if one of my bio kids had some special need that I had to deal with, you would do whatever you had to do to deal with it. And so we want to get these kids all the resources that we can and learn whatever we need to learn about ourselves to be the best parent for them that we can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. And it reminds me, so Amy Butler, who's going to be on the podcast in a few episodes, she actually told me once just because we beat ourselves up as adoptive moms and we think we're not doing well enough. We don't love them enough or in the way that we should. And she was like, you know, most people say no. God asks us or Jesus asks us to take care of the orphans. And most people say no, but you said yes. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I had just never heard it like that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, thank you. Because that just puts it all in perspective. You know, we beat ourselves up over and over and over again, but we, we already said yes. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know that feels, that feels good. That's all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes we <laughs> need the warm and fuzzy hard. in the, in yeah, the like heat sure. of it. <laughs> for sure. And every now and then we get those little, those little moments. When we had a summer, it was two summers ago, we were trying to leave the pool and I did not, prep Joe appropriately. And it was just not a day that he could handle a transition. Transitions are hard. And he lost his ever loving mind. And I left that pool with him kicking and screaming. And we looked like complete idiots. And he (laughs) screamed all the way home. And I told Kevin, I was like, all I can do, I'm just gonna take him upstairs and rock him. I don't know what else to do. I'm gonna get a cup of milk. He's like four. And you deal with the other kids. And I'm just gonna do my best to get him in bed. And he was like, Godspeed. So I took <laughs> Joe upstairs, who is like sweating and flailing and screaming, and he can barely open his eyes. They're so swollen. And I just got in a dark room and I just started rocking him. And eventually he calmed down enough to to take some of that milk and in just a little sippy cup. And because I wanted him to have something on his belly, but the boy needed to go to bed. And so I got him calmed down. He almost fell asleep in my arms. I tuck him into bed. It took a while, but I was like, hey, I'm going to take a W here. He's in bed asleep. Like, <laughs> we didn't really deal with the fit at all, but we'll talk about that tomorrow, about how we leave the pool. Well, fast forward like a year later, I was rocking him before bed, and 
I read him some little story and I was like, oh, I love this story. I used to read this to you when you were little. He's like, yeah. And you remember also when I was little that one time I was so, so sad, but you rocked me and you gave me milk. That made me so happy. And I thought, oh my gosh, this stuff works. Like, <laughs> I mean, we felt like idiots that day. I couldn't calm him down to save my life. And like my very last idea at least got him to sleep peacefully. And it stuck with him. He remembered. He didn't remember why he threw a fit. He just knew I felt so loved in that moment. Yeah. Despite how I was acting. And it was those little moments power me through when it gets hard on the day to day. Like this stuff matters. This will this will help. Yeah, <laughs> so, that reward will yeah. come later. Yeah. Oh goodness. Well, okay. So this has been great. We've talked about a lot, but um I have kind of my little lightning round, um, so to speak, which is, I mean, I, I feel like that's a bad thing to call it. I need to come up with a different word because the answers are not necessarily like really quick, but okay. (laughs) Okay. So I'll try to be lightning. Like, no, no, you don't have to at all. I just don't know what else to call it, but okay. So, and I asked this of all my guests. So what, what do you wish someone had just looked you in the eye and told you at the beginning of this journey? Well, I wish they had said it, although I can guarantee I wouldn't have believed it. But I wish somebody had said, this is not going to be as easy as you think it is. I really thought I was like, if you give somebody love and structure and security, that's all anybody needs. Yeah, they'll totally see the stability in the situation, right? (laughs) Right. They're going to understand how lucky they are to be getting to hang out with me, and it's going to be grand. You know what? There's nothing (laughs) lucky about what has happened to these kids. And I was just so naive to think I knew all that they needed. I I knew nothing. I knew I'm still learning a lot every day. So if I wish I had known this is just not going to be as easy as you think it's going to be, but it will be worth every bit of trouble, every bit of hardship that you go through. It'll be worth it. That's, that's good. And I mean, we all need to hear that because even I think I talked about this with Anne, but I feel like even our naiveness in thinking that it's going to be hard. I'm like, sure, this is going to be really hard, but we can totally do it. And we've just realized like, no, you actually can't. Only God can get you through this because this is really hard. (laughs) You go and need a tribe. Yes, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, okay. um, What do you wish you had done differently? I wish I had known more about connecting parenting from the beginning and done that from the beginning. Um, Our teen daughter that we had for about a year and a half, I've gone back and apologized to her. Like, listen, we probably could have done a much better job if we had known more of this stuff up front. Um, So I wish I would have, I I think at some, to some degree I was trying not to attach because I thought it would be too hard if the kid left when in reality they needed that attachment and affection and physical affection. And I wish I had been more um, generous with that because I think I was trying to protect myself to some degree. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good one. Okay. So um, what's your favorite way that your tribe has supported you? And also what's a way that you felt hurt or not supported maybe despite some good intentions? Okay. Now that's a great, that's a great question. I think probably specifically because I have so many boys food has just been 
such a blessing. When we took in Wes, <laughs> our, our community group that we were a part of at the time literally brought us food for a month as if I had given birth to a newborn. Like I almost felt awkward about it. That's how long it went on. But I was like, guys, I did not give birth to this kid. Like I feel guilty about it. And they were like, whatever, <laughs> this is how we want to help you. And I've learned to let people help when they want to help because fostering, it's not for everybody, but everybody can play a small part in it. It's been amazing watching my teen get set up in his apartment because I just put it on Facebook one day. Hey, my boy's about to move out on his own. Who's got some extra stuff laying around? And my tribe completely furnished his apartment. They bought him food. They've sent him Walmart gift cards for gas. Um, he's got a bed. He's got a couch. He's, I mean, he is set up and I bought almost none of that. Wow. Um, so that's been amazing. My tribe has been big and good and everybody has had a little part to play. And that has been uh, really cool. I honestly don't have a lot of stories about feeling uh, gypped in in any capacity or or hurt. Um, maybe maybe hurtful things were said behind my back, and, and that's all right. <laughs> but people have been very accepting of what we have done. Um, my family has been especially gracious for me to just call and be like, I'm BT Doves, I'm bringing two extra kids to Christmas. And they're just like, all right, what do they want? We'll buy it. And so wow. we've, we've been very blessed in that capacity that um, people just seem to understand and embrace our crazy and go along with it. And it gets to be their part. I mean, I've told like my sister has been a huge emotional support to me. And I'm like, girl, I don't want you to foster. Like, I need you to be my support. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not for everybody. So I just need, um, you, you can't have all of your support be foster people because they're all spent. Yeah. <laughs> I need somebody whose cup is still running over to be able to help fill me up sometimes. So. Oh, goodness. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's a good one. Because I do feel like there are those people that don't get it and don't try to get it. So it's good to hear that people like your sister who, who don't doesn't truly get it, but she at least wants to, and she's there to be with you and listen through it. Right. She, she supports us however, however she can. And that, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. Yeah. Okay. So lastly, what's your biggest piece of advice or encouragement for adoptive mamas? And I know that that's broad, but like, what's just the number one thing that maybe you wish you had known? I mean, not like the first question, but like just that, that word that gets you through or whatever it is. Right. Oh, that, yeah, that is a big, broad question. I think the biggest thing that, that provides support to me, is just like having friends like you and having friends that are walking through the same thing. You don't have to completely change your friend group, of course, but you've got to have some people in your life that get what you're walking through on the day to day. So just having, excuse me, having a support group of people that understand and have some more experience than you, um, that, that helps so much. So someone you can call and say, Hey, what do I even do with this? And they can say, dude, I'm sorry. You're walking through that. Here's some ideas. And so, you know, not everybody can do that because it's a pretty unique niche that we've walked into. Yeah. So just having, having some people that know what's, what's up. Yeah. Well, and, and from personal experience, having someone like you that like, just find someone that you can send the SOS text to like coffee tonight. I'm very serious. (laughs) Yes. And I, you know, I want to be the kind of person like you can say what you actually think and it's okay if it's ugly. Like I've got no judgment for you. I've got no judgment for anybody. I get that this is hard and there's some real value in being very real and vulnerable in this so that we can get to where we're going. Because the heart behind the matter is that we really want to help and we want to do the right thing. And sometimes you got to mud through the ugly part to get to the beautiful part. And so it's okay 
to feel what you feel and, and move from there. So that's been a big learning piece for me. Well, it's a good one for sure. So, um, thanks. I try. Well, and this has been awesome. So where can like people find you on social media and stuff like that? We already talked about how you're on staff with the call and you're, you're great at venting too. I know that. So (laughs) (laughs) yes, I can do that. I am, I am on, on the Facebook as my husband calls it. Um, (laughs) Kelly Kraut, K R O U T. And and I'll friend you if you friend me. I also have Instagram. It is private, which I've moved to private for the uh, privacy of some of my adopted boys. Um, but um, if I've got some mutual friends with you, I'll probably accept you too. <laughs> so so go find me and I'll and I'll follow you back. So it's a fun time. But you gotta love the social media. It's a good oh, yeah. it's a good outlet. <laughs> it's always that catch twenty two. Oh goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Kelly. This has been really fun. I always, always love talking to you. Well, thanks, Alex. It's been a great time. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and he is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.